Hi, y'all. We are back for another episode. And today, what we're going to focus on is swim safety and safety around the water. And I think this is a really important topic because the hard reality is that we do see more autistic children each year that drown than their neurotypical peers. And so I want to use this podcast today as a way to educate you as a way that you can be proactive. This definitely is not my area of specialty. So I'm so excited to welcome Kira LaForgia to the podcast. Kira is actually the COO of Floaty Swim School in San Diego, California. So she's got this swim background, but we actually connected. She is also the CEO and founder of Paradigm, which is an HR company. And she actually helped to set up the structure of my business. And that's initially how we connected. And it's been so impactful. But I realized I was like, wait a minute, let's have her come on provide this education today. What's really cool before we hit record, just full circle, she was actually saying that Floaties is partnering with an autism foundation and really becoming like a preferred vendor for them. So anyway, Kira, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental coach specializing in neurodivergent affirming care. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. And I know firsthand the impact autism can have. I was 12 years old when my little brother was diagnosed and my family had to learn how to navigate the autism journey. It wasn't always easy. Two decades later, I now create resources and services I wish my family had, including this podcast, and I developed the whole family approach. On this podcast, of course, we will talk about autism, but we will also talk about your personal growth and well-being as a parent, supporting your non-autistic children, and sharing personal stories of other families so you know you're not alone. Quick disclaimer before we jump into today's episode. Anything shared on this podcast should not be considered clinical advice, and you should consult with your team of medical, mental health, and developmental providers if you need support. Thank you. I feel like it is truly a full circle moment in so many ways. This is so much fun. I know in our meetings, I'd always hear about how you had this other job because I only knew (laughs) from the HR side, but it's so cool. Yeah, I love it. I really probably should have quit a while ago, just like on the entrepreneur side, having so much going into my own business. But as I think you and many of your parents can appreciate and probably also many of your peers can appreciate, once you start to really find your passion, which I have developed and grew up working in the water and working near the water. So it's really hard to turn away from it. There's a certain level of fulfillment that comes with working with those kids. Yeah. Tell us a little bit of the backstory then. Like, how did you start being near the water? How did you get into working for a swim school? Yeah, I started swimming competitively when I was five. I was nearing the national level when I was 10 or 11. Hit puberty. That's an episode for another day. Uh, My body completely changed. And when I went one year from racing next to Amanda Beard and other Olympians, when I was in my early like preteen almost ages, 
um, my body changed and I had to learn how to adapt. So then I ended up playing water polo. So I was able to use my speed and agility to catapult into working or working on my skills in the water. And it was so much fun and such a relief, which put me in the UC Santa Barbara division one women's water polo team when I went to college. So I didn't know this because I was a college athlete too. So that's total. It's like, there's all these little branches because you talk about women's bodies changing. You talk about athletics when you're in your early teens, you talk about the pressure from it. You talk about disordered potential eating issues, exercise stuff, using exercise to deal with anxiety, all of that just really now looking back in my story, like drove me to continue to want to be near the water and to be near other young athletes, because that's all I knew. That's where I found my peace. That's where I burned off that extra anxiety and energy. That's where I became a true perfectionist that has been in therapy for years, learning some of these things, but also you just can't, you might be able to unlearn some of those patterns and unhealthy behaviors as you can talk about more, but it's hard to get rid of the passion for the thing that really molded you and shaped you into the person that you are. And so I felt so lucky to go from finding a corporate job that was abusive. And I gained a lot of corporate trauma after graduating with my master's degree to working in a small business, literally to escape from the cubicle. And in that small business, teaching swim lessons, like running into a building after work in my heels and my suit after sales calls all day and all kinds of crazy stuff in my corporate job to just feeling this big relief of being in the water with all these kids and blowing off that steam until I could finally escape from the cubicle. So I ended up working at floaties as a reprieve. And then it turned, that was over 10 years ago now. And it turned into my life passion. And it also gave me a vehicle to really understand HR through the operations lens and empowering small business owners to make the impact that we need to make because corporations are not doing it. I think I wove those two things together pretty well. I was just thinking like how seamless and beautiful that explanation just I've never said it before. Like it's either... How did you get to the HR side? We talk about the trauma and stuff or what's going on with your athletic side and how did you end up in water safety? So to be able to blend it together, thank you just for the opportunity to do that. That was weird and fun. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. It, it, And so seamless. And yeah, it's really cool to think about too, the impact that you're having. I'm actually going on your podcast soon and I know we'll talk about this, but the impact that you had on my business and helping me really to be able to lay the foundation in order to truly serve. And what's interesting for those that listen to the podcast a lot, like a lot of this current structure is because of working in collaboration with you. And so you have impact there, but then it's also really cool to think about impacting these little humans and, and helping them learn how to be safe around water, learn how to swim, some of them developing a passion. And one little tie-in just real quick, because my brain went there, is when you were talking about it being your reprieve and being in the water, I also thought about so many autistic kids that I've worked with where the water itself can be so regulatory for them. What's that sensory? It's being able to move. It's freeing. And we want to make sure that they're ultimately safe. So yeah, let's kick this off and tell us a little bit about how do parents begin to build awareness for themselves and for their children with regard to water safety? 
Yeah, I love that question. I think I'm just going to get the scary stuff out of the way first, but this is also how I train my staff. So drowning is the leading cause of death for children under the age of five, and it's 100% preventable. So while we do see really high instances of drowning for all ages of people with children, it's much higher than any other threat. And it's an invisible threat and we can prevent it more than literally heart disease or anything else out there that we have no control over. So in some ways, taking control of your kid's safety around the water is not only something that you can do to help you feel better as a parent, a guardian or caretaker, or even an educator, but also to make sure that your kid is interacting with the environment in new and different ways that are really safe and easy to control while making sure that they're also just having that ability to connect with other people that are within their either their same ability range or that are different ages or whatever the case may be. So I think that when it comes to being a parent and getting started in this, it's just before you even think about anything else, just make sure that the environment that you're raising your kids in your house, your pool, all those things have the layers of safety. So we're talking about fences, alarms, making sure that there's locks on things like toilets, bathtub water, kids can drown in as little as two inches of water. So making sure that if you have buckets outside, flip them over, make sure that you're constantly doing a monitoring of what's in your outside area. Make sure your hoses are turned off. Make sure there isn't any inadvertent puddles, little things like that, especially we're in San Diego. So we're always around bodies of water. So if you're in an area like that, then really taking this seriously and embracing it as a moment of learning and bonding with your child to help them learn this new skill is something positive, but it's also highly necessary depending on where you live, but everybody's got a toilet and everybody's got a bathtub. So at the end of the day, just making sure that you're aware of those little things and just being really cognizant about creating surroundings that your kids can fall over and knock things over and stuff like that without endangering their lives. I don't have to like say this to parents off the rooftops. They already know this, but these are invisible dangers that not many parents know about. One of the layers of safety is swim lessons. So besides just getting yourself educated on CPR and things like that, um, it's actually putting them in a controlled environment to learn to swim. And I have some thoughts on this, which I'm going to dive into just so we can set a little foundation for the episode. But there are two different types of swim lessons out there. One is a learn to swim, which is a little bit more trust and rapport building. It's a about giving the kid comfortable in the water, giving them the space to explore, having them have a relationship with their teacher. And the other type is survival swimming. So that's called ISR generally. Mm -hmm. Those are incredibly harmful to children and they can cause very traumatic situations for them. They're actually illegal in most countries, including Australia, which is the second most westernized area where swim lessons are prominent um, because they've actually done studies on the impact that these survival-based lessons can have because you're not teaching the child to learn to swim and, and to survive in the water in a loving environment. You're literally putting them in harmful situations and then forcing their survival instincts to kick into high gear. If you're looking for a program, especially if you have a child with autism, make sure you're asking if they are a learn to swim program or an ISR or survival swimming program and lean towards the learn to swim program. Another way that you can vet those schools is simply to just go on the United States Swim School Association website. They are not affiliated with any survival swimming or ISR program. So you can actually find instructors and private lessons and facilities in your area that are going to be learn to swim programs, which I mean, for all kids, we want to do it, but especially for the kids that are coming in with some sensory, sensory issues or different types of abilities. Wow. 
Okay. I have so many <laughs> thoughts. I was going to ask about ISR because, <laughs> you know, you see it on social media a lot. And I love that you set the tone. Of course, if your child went through this, you know, like some of it is, well, actually, I'll have you comment on this. What if a parent did have their kid go through ISR? What do you recommend in terms of continuing moving forward? Yeah, obviously, they're very popular programs. So I don't think there is any shame or anything like that. Um, but the main thing that you want to do is just cultivate a relationship of a healthy love and respect for the water so that when you are, I don't want to say in recovery from an ISR, cause some kids are like, whatever, I, that didn't bother me at all. So we're fine. Some kids really, the priority is because they have to fit it into a tight deadline or they have to do these programs that are 10 minutes a day for two weeks. That's all we have the space for, or all we can afford. Then those are just the options that we have. I also know that in San Diego, we do teach an indoor heated pools to help to have the kid be comfortable right away, but that's not always an option. You may only just have access to a cold community pool and you want to get this done so that your kid can be safe. And above all your kid, we just want them to be safe. So if going through ISR does prevent a big issue from happening later, we're all really on the same side there. But if you have a choice, definitely vet those programs. And I think that if you were to have just like an open dialogue with your child to help them understand that the water is something to love and something that can be safe. And it's something that you don't have to be afraid of and to highlight the skills that they learned that we're not forced into. Try not to recreate some of the patterns, pushing kids in when they're not paying attention, forcing them to turn over, snapping in their face, little things like that, but just step in as in, in a role as an educator and help them learn to see how relaxed you are in the water, how much you love it, how safe it is, how fun it can be. And most of the time you can just capitalize on what they learned without causing future trauma. Yeah. And my brain goes to kids' brains are so malleable and flexible and buildable. And so yeah. you can rebuild this relationship with the water. And it's just about moving forward. How can you help them feel safe, feel comfortable, learn to love it and explore it? And what's really interesting, we're not going to go too deep dive, but I'm just going to say this. It also is reminding me, and my listeners have heard me talk about this. And if you want to dive in further, it'd be episode 26. But I talked about some of the harmful practices of ABA or applied behavior analysis and what some of the controversy in the field is. And some of it is these traumatic situations and not ultimately you have to navigate that as a parent, but you can always recover from that. And mm -hmm. I feel like the same kind of parallel is here as well is yeah. what's about shifting and following a child's lead. I think that's a huge focus of this podcast of the neurodiversity movement is like, how can we let kids take the lead? Because that helps them build confidence. It helps them build safety. And ultimately it's going to create enjoyment as well. Yeah. I love that you brought that up just because I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know everything you know about all of these things. I just take a lot of pride in creating a space for our instructors to embrace the opportunity that we have to create a loving and safe environment for kids to learn to do this life-saving skill. And we do interact a lot with different fields of development. And one of my, I know you already know this, but 
One of my best friends is a BCBA. And it's interesting that you brought that up because I envision her sort of in the middle where she's, there were extremely harmful ABA practices and we can change them and we can grow from them. And the passion for the kids is still there. And I think that's a path that you want to take. If you have taken advantage of a survival swimming program to know that you didn't intentionally do any harm on your child, but really if the kid can walk away and they're safe from drowning, you did your job as a parent. And the second thing is to help them to love and respect the water in a way that is really going to enrich their lives. And I think for kids with autism, at least from what I've experienced and heard secondhand from educators like you, water can be one of the greatest therapeutic tools for kids. It's a, it's the great equalizer for their physical skills and for their ability to develop alongside other kids that are their same age. So at floaties, we have an inclusive program. So we put kids regardless or assuming that any of their abilities, while they may be different or not, you might have three three three-year-olds in a class. One of them may have autism. One of them might be neurotypical and another might be deaf, but it's an equalizer because all those kids are learning different skills and learning to use their bodies in different ways. So it's really fun to be able to see them be included in their peer groups. And that's why we don't put kids with autism in their own class over in the corner. We want to include them with other kids and help other kids also be more inclusive of kids with different abilities. Yeah. Presuming confidence in that no matter what an individual's abilities are, that they're still capable or what their abilities may present as they're absolutely still capable. And so would that be something you'd encourage parents to look for are more of these like inclusive programs? Yeah. And actually I might make an enemy here or two, but I, one of the things that we help to facilitate, I think between therapists or like the autism communities that we're involved with is an education on just that. Because a lot of times they come into our facility and they're like, we want our kids to have private lessons because they have autism and they need their own type of pathway. And we've seen it work, including other kids with these same age groups with different abilities, and they can still learn along the same path and they just feel more included in the program. And they're not just used to like going and sticking themselves in the corner. We've actually had parents that are like, my kid has autism. I must be in this class over here by themselves. And it's like, well, come on over like with these other kids of their own age. And now would it be ignorant? I think it would be a little ignorant to say that every kid anywhere on the spectrum can perform or act in the same exact way as any other kid without accommodation. And so we want to make sure our, our instructors are Airing on the side of, what did you say? Presumed competence? Presuming competence. Yeah. God, that's so beautiful. I'm going to use that in our training manual. Presuming competence. But then we can always scale it back or to the side and make it work a little bit better for them because our instructors are not trained to go off a checklist. They're trained to adapt to what the the kid is learning and doing in the classes. And so it makes it really fun for those kids to be able to participate where otherwise they may have been left out. And it's interesting talking about learn to swim versus this survival, just to tie this back. I think what really makes the difference with this learn to swim and how you guys are adapting to where the child's at and allowing them to take the lead, that's what allows them to still thrive in this like inclusive program versus I think when we think swim lessons, we often, I think parents often worry about, oh gosh, what if my kid has a meltdown during this? And Some of it is 
the swim instructors will learn to navigate that and you can yeah. work collaboratively with them to help support them. But I also think maybe there could be this mindset of what we often think of more this, these survival swim lessons that, you know, and it's, they need to be one-on-one and you got to pace it differently. But the cool thing is about what you're describing and learn to swim is that you are pacing it towards each individual child. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also really fun to see how they, the kids just always exceed and surpass any expectations we have. And if you're a parent listening to this and you're like, oh God, my kid hates bath time. They don't like water over their head. They don't like water in their eyes or going over their ears or whatever. They, all the kids hate it. Like you are with, you are among friends at swim schools because not only do these exceptional instructors that we hire and train become more exceptional through the training, but we're training them on developmental milestones. Some of our, like my favorite moments and my favorite things to brag about in my whole career are just when little kids' parents are coming in and telling me that their instructor's name was their third word, or they only just talk about Miss Mr. Dennis or Miss Marissa. That's all they say on repeat over and over again, or how they light up when they drive into the parking lot or they see us getting out their swim diaper or those little moments that have created more of a community for that child than you even realize. And parents, I think they get so, and I'm not a parent yet. So I, I know this feeling, but I am an aunt and my nephew and niece and other nieces have absolutely had a meltdown in public while they may be neurotypical or probably, or somewhere on the spectrum. I don't know, but realistically you are not alone. And if anything, like knowing that we're every class, we're going to have some kids screaming bloody murder because it's their first day or they're having a bad morning or they took a nap on the way into class and they had to drag them out of the car seat to get them into class. It really is just such a great equalizer. And you don't have to feel alone as a parent of a child with autism because all these kids are going through those same kind of, I don't want to say issues because they're just par for the course. Like an issue implies that it's not natural and not expected. So bring them in, let them scream. Like our instructors are trained to understand all those things. And most great instructors in most of the United States Swim School Association schools are also going to help their instructors understand why kids are crying, why these behaviors are exhibiting. It's always, it's also really magical when like kid comes in and the instructor's like, Oh, like after one turn with the kid and they're like, did Jackson start walking this week? And the parents like, how did you know? And it's like their body changes, their buoyancy changes. These instructors see them week over week than any, like this is, that's not even unusual. That's just normal stuff. Like their entire developmental composition is represented in the water where they're free to like fully embrace their own bodies and to see how they're changing and developing. And while autism is obviously a consideration on how we're going to best show up and serve these kids, it's also not a driving force in the experience that the kids are having, which I think can be really cool and a nice relief for some parents that often have to make a lot of accommodations for their kiddos. Absolutely. Yeah. The thing that came to mind, and it actually came to mind earlier too, is this idea of parental anxiety and finding this balance. So on one hand, earlier you were talking about being really aware of the environment. And there's this balance that a parent doesn't become so anxious and so hypervigilant. We want to be aware, but not hitting that point. And then on the other side, we have this anxiety where it's worried about what this experience is going to be like. Is my child ready for this? Is this something like you're commonly navigating? Real quick, just a brief interruption, because I want you to know you don't have to navigate this journey alone. 
If you're in a place where you have concerns about your child's development, you've been on the search for a therapist that provides evidence-informed neurodivergent affirming care, or you're needing more support as a parent, the whole family approach may be a good fit for you. Autism doesn't just impact your child's life, so you deserve care that works for your child and your whole family. Head to the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary call where we can chat about your unique circumstances. We can help you decide if Dr. Tay concierge clinical care would be a good fit for your family. And if not, we will provide you resources for your next best steps. Oh, it's so weird when you ask that question. I was just thinking about how it's really more like running a business. There's all these threats to our ability to run our businesses, but we can only create systems and really like rest on our laurels that they're going to do what we set them up to do. And I think I don't want to answer this from a parental perspective because I'm not one, um, but I, I'm at the age where everyone I know is a parent of a child and being conditioned around (laughs) floaties. I'm like, I'm very prepared for this pregnancy thing. Let's go. (laughs) But I do think that it's, it's just about giving your kid the best chance. And maybe you, it's not going to be a good fit for you to bring a kid in every single week at the same time with the same teacher in a controlled environment. Like maybe you don't have that, that capacity. Maybe you don't have the budget. Maybe you don't have those things, but there are so many free resources out there for you to take advantage of, to make sure that you're setting up your home system in a way that's going to be really the opposite of what we would consider a dangerous situation. And it's the laws are actually evolving for this. When I first started working in the aquatics industry, there wasn't a law about not having certain types of vents on the bottoms of pools or little things like that. But there has been so many advances. Now there's laws about having fences around pools and there's easy ways to get Amazon alarms on your doors to know if kids are going in and out. But if I'm just going to tell you one story. We have this family that they're got to be like maybe 10 and five and three now. But a few years ago, we had a little girl and then her infant brother that were in swim lessons. And I think that I want to say that she was maybe three or four and they had an older sibling that was in swim team and a little baby kid that was like, we start swimming at three months. We recommend parents get their kids in before seven or eight months because they've retained some of their dive reflexes from when they're in the womb and things like that. But they had this little baby in. It was part of their family, like the, the oldest girls on the team, the middle kids in their pre-strokes classes. And then we have this infant in their infant classes, the learn to swim classes. And the mom didn't realize that the gardener had left the pool gate open. The kids had gotten outside and she looked over and saw her four or five-year-old little daughter and her infant kid standing by the door, completely soaking wet. And the little girl just goes, oh, I'm not going to use his real name. Isaiah was in the pool. I got him out. <laughs> like because of the things that they learned at swim, he so fell in the pool. Though. Like, yeah, this like, girl's just like, it wasn't yeah. a trauma. It wasn't a panic. She knew I do my safety cir- circles at floaties. We do our safety drills. He knew I'm being submerged in the water. It's not a time to panic. She knew to keep her eyes open in the water. She wasn't dependent on goggles. She knew how to pull him out because of participating in these clinics. The edible arrangement we got from this family was phenomenal. But at the end of the day, it really is about those little stories that consistently give me chills every time we we talk about them. And I think it's really important that people know that it's not just about being perfect at swim. That little boy just fell in the water and didn't freak out. And that's great. 
that's a great start because panic is what help has kids start to hyperventilate, to swallow water, to start to go into that drowning phase. Mm -hmm. So even just that familiarity with it, and there are things you can do at home that are completely free, helping them understand the, the better ways to interact with water through bath time, putting their face in the water, for example, not blowing bubbles. That's something that people don't know, but if you blow out, then your instinct is to suck in. So teaching kids to blow bubbles is actually harmful. We want to teach them to hold their breath. We also don't want to give kids access to goggles too early, which I know a lot of our autistic students are like, no, thank you. (laughs) That's a weird feeling. But some are like, this is great. I don't like the feeling of the water on my eyes, stuff like that. Don't give kids goggles until they can swim fully without them and they're not dependent on them. Because if they do end up in a situation where they fall in the water, they're immediately going to start panicking because they don't have their comfort zone. They can't see. Things are blurry. They don't know how to get to the edge. Little things like that can make a big difference. Starting when you first get your kid taking baths, putting water over their head, putting water over their eyes, using verbal cues so they know they're not being shocked by the water. We use ready swim. So no matter what, when a kid's starting a turn, even if they're jumping off the wall, it's ready swim. Little things like that to show them Like you're about to be underwater, hold your breath, be aware, open your eyes, make sure you're paying attention. Um, And it just really creates an environment where the kids are not afraid of it. They just know what to expect, just like they would if you're putting them in their car seat. And it helps it be something that is they can look forward to, learn from, adapt to. And then, of course, the benefits of swimming just go on and on. (laughs) Wow. You're giving so much value, just like (laughs) random little tidbits. Like, I didn't know the bubbles thing, but makes so much sense. And yeah, yeah, I think, too, just to circle back and comment on parental anxiety, too, is it's okay if you feel nervous to take your kid to swim. But starting some of these conversations at home is going to make it feel easier. And also sometimes modeling too for them, but also going through of facing your fears in order to prioritize their safety if swim lessons are possible, I think is so important. So one of my questions, but you already answered it, is what age do we start? So Mm -hmm. I have a question then on the opposite end, is it ever too late to start swim lessons? No, I think the biggest thing is you could get, even if you just found a school or an instructor that you really trust and you have an older kid that has a lot of anxiety, or if you as a parent are not somebody that's familiar with being around recreational swimming, then being able to take that deep breath and pass them on must be really difficult. And is probably one of the reasons that you haven't enrolled them into these classes in the first place. Mm -hmm. So just recognizing that you're totally not alone there, tell the school, tell the instructor how you feel about it, and maybe create a little bit of emotional and physical space before the child embarks on this adventure so that they're not feeding off that energy from you because anxiety is a real thing across the board. Like kids even will have kids that have progressions and regressions, and that's totally normal. So if you're getting into lessons where you're seeing a lot of progress and then a little step back, that means your instructor is actually doing it right because every single week, the kid is going to, their body's changing, they're developing, they're growing, they're trying new things. They turn three and suddenly their favorite word is no, all these little things are going on. And as instructors, we're trained to adapt to them. And so have pushing through those regressions is actually really great for your kids ability to adapt and for them to have some grit and to learn new things. When we make big progress with a kid, we'll often see them not be as excited for swim the next week. And that's because they just did the hardest thing, like basically running on a treadmill, reading a book, holding their breath all at the same time. That's what it feels like for these little ones to learn how to swim. So when you do it, I don't know about you. I know you, Taylor, you're like really great at working out. But if I have a hard workout, I'm like, ugh, I don't want to do that again. But you do. 
you force your way through it and teaching your kids that, yeah, sometimes it's going to be hard, but the next time you do, it's going to be worth it. And your instructors should be able to adapt so that they always end on a fun note and they're excited to come back. But those anxiety moments are going to happen even after your first day. But I think that if you have a three month old baby and you're like, I can't even imagine putting this child under the water don't start them yet. Like it's not worth you like going through like panic or fear or just not enjoying that bonding experience of being with your child when they're swimming, when you could wait to the six, seven or eighth month mark. I think but most of my friends who go to floaties and know all the instructors and all that good stuff, start all their babies around six months or so, which I think is perfect. And it's also very cute. So, <laughs> so cute. Yeah. No, so cute. I love that. And yeah, I think with autistic kids in particular, I often talk with parents too. You were talking about the progression and regression, but we all often see too that autistic kids learn in a different pattern. It's not that they can't learn, but they're going to learn on their own timetable and mm-hmm. on their own trajectory. And so having patience, but I also, and I will say, I don't necessarily, I can't quote data of this, but I've just seen it time and time again, being a clinician, I often think of neurotypical kids as there's this upward angle in terms of their development. It's usually pretty steady. Of course, there's peaks and valleys, but overall it's steady. I find a lot of autistic kids have big, like a big growth burst, and then they plateau out and it's, you're going, are they going to advance anymore? Are they going to get there? And I do think riding it out, whether it feels like a regression or a plateau, it's not that swim lessons aren't working. This is to be expected. And it is about just continuing to be patient with this process. Totally. We always talk about it, especially with the little kids where you're not exactly seeing them busting out a 25 yard butterfly on their fifth day when they're 18 months old, but you will, we have these four different progression lines that we use at floaties and without totally divulging all of our secrets. One of them is all about just the experience of being in the water. They learn their colors. They learn to take their turn. They learn to respond to other kids. They learn manners. They learn a little bit of separation from a parent. They learn about other authority figures. Some of them are like, meeting a man for the first time in a teaching situation, all these little things that come up. And so the value of swim, while it's really great that we want to keep that safety prioritized, we want them to learn those safety skills. We also want them to learn to swim. That's why it's a learn to swim program based on the four swim strokes that are internationally accepted. Although some of the interviews I've done, you would be wild to hear some of these instructors telling me the strokes they know. I'm like, what is that? Anyway, so (laughs) we don't usually hire those guys, but I will say that there is definitely an experience of when your child is going to swim every day, they may, or every week or twice a week or whatever, they may not be making physical progress, but there is so much that they're getting from being in that controlled environment and building trust with someone outside their family. Absolutely. I love that point. So important. So I'm going to take it a little bit back to the hard stuff, a little bit back to the somber piece of this. Let's talk a little bit just so parents can be aware of signs of drowning, because a lot of times on shows, we see this big dramatic thing, but in real life, it often isn't. So can you comment on that? Yeah. So the first thing I'll say, and this is just, I'm just going to touch on this a little bit because I'm not going to pretend to be qualified in this area, but dry drowning was a literal trend for a while. Mm. And it's very uncommon and it's not the same thing that you may have heard about or seen or seen on TV shows or movies or whatever. And that's not to take away from the fact that this does happen. And it is 
horrible and terrible and sad. But in most cases where we had a few years there, which I've done this for so long, I've seen these trends of fears. So that's weird. But we saw this trend where people were like, oh, my kids swallowed water during class. Like I have to take them to the ER because they're probably dry drowning now and stuff like that. Yeah. Don't like, don't think that like your kid's allowed to like, sometimes I'll take a sip of my water and I'll start choking on a call or something. It's it's the same thing. So most of the time your kids are actually built to be in the water. Sometimes we're built to be around water. Most of our body is water. The reactions that our body has against water are to protect us. And it's okay and normal for them to happen. It's okay for a kid to come up and actually have have accidentally inhaled some water and cough it back up. Or even if we get to the point where they're like throwing up after every time they swim, then we definitely, that's not something we're looking for here. That's definitely a, a red flag sign, but just keep in mind, like if a kid swallows some water, coughs, it up and then keep swimming. They're they're probably fine. Don't take them to the ER. Call your doctor. I'm not pretending to do any of that stuff, but don't immediately go to dry drowning because that was like, I don't even want to bring it up again in public because it was like such a thing for a while. Yeah. And when what was happening was that these kids would see their parents freak out when they made this mistake in the water by accidentally inhaling water or not getting their head up enough to take a breath or little things like that. And instead of just making a mistake, coughing and getting over it, they make a mistake, cough, and then see their parent panicking. So then it just makes it worse. And so we started to see these things happen. But when it comes to drowning, really the best way to stop it or to have it not happen is to prevent it. And some of those little ways are through always having a water watcher by the pool. Even if you're just having a family party, somebody that's literally dedicated to sit there and count heads, make sure the kids are coming up, make sure they're not getting stuck underneath boogie boards, little things like that. Someone that's literally dedicated to being a water watcher, give them shifts, hire them from your local swim school or a lifeguard from your YMCA. We rent them out. Our instructors moonlight as water watchers during the summer for after school parties and stuff like that. Just somebody that's dedicated to do it and generally not having it, somebody that's going to be having a glass of wine, talking to their friends, not one of your guests, not you as the parent or the person hosting a party, somebody that's completely different. That's literally just CPR certified and can make sure that the kids are fine in the pool. Maybe play with them a little bit, say ready, go on swim lessons, facilitate sharks and minnows, little things like that. It's totally worth the money to do. And it's the biggest layer of protection that you can have. The second thing is just simply making sure that you have someone around anytime kids are in the water that is CPR certified so that if something does happen, then you can solve the problem right then and there. A lot of first aid and CPR certifications are going to take it one step further and teach you how to do these things in emergency situations to help you keep your calm and things like that. And I think lastly, if you're noticing that your child is like really extremely fatigued after they're swimming and you think they're okay, but they're like super, super tired or they throw up after swimming or they're going to swim lessons and they don't want to go back ever, then those are things to consider either switching, talking to the school, talking to the instructor, figuring out what's going on, because it could just be something as simple as the way that their body is reacting to the water. I had this one student that was just like a brick Like they were so scared the whole lesson, I could feel them growing triceps because they were just so afraid of being in the pool. And sometimes that can be extremely fatiguing, but sometimes it can be a sign that there's something else going on. So I think it's really important to just pay attention. Kids are supposed to be tired. They're going to have red eyes. Chlorine is 
not the enemy, regardless of what many people may think, but you don't want your kid to, I had to go to the hospital once after water polo game because my eyes were so red. They had to put IVs in my eyes and numb them. You don't want to get into that point, but a little bit of redness to encourage your kid to open their eyes underwater, see where the wall is, see where safety is, little things like that. But if it feels like they have to heal from an experience in the water, whether it be a swim lesson or a recreational experience, getting some extra support, some help, some private lessons, some private guidance, or even because kids that have autism are not going to like you said, react in the same way in these situations. So it's good to make sure that you're just doing that one extra step to ensure their comfortability and safety. Um, Another thing you could do is just have an instructor or an aquatics professional come to your house, especially if you have a pool and run some drills with your kids so they know how to get out. So similar to what I would do with my dog or something like that, not being a mom yet, but the second I have a kid is they're going to know how to find the stairs. They're going to know how to find the edge. They're going to know how to roll on their back and call for help. Little things like that so that your kids are aware that They don't have to be perfect when they're in the water. They're not going to, they don't go in timeout if they bump their head, little things like that, that encourage them to still explore, but also know that it's okay to ask for help so that you can make sure you're always monitoring the situation. Yeah. Love where you took that. It started out, (laughs) but honestly, like signs and it's like monitor, right? Watch, don't overstress about dry drowning and this fad and trend. And yes, it can happen, but the incidence rate is so incredibly low, but I love this idea too, of just practicing all these things are skills. So even if they're not in full swim lessons, if the first time your child's trying to have to like go up to the wall, like they might not know what to do there. So Mm -hmm. actually teaching that and having a swim instructor come by can be so helpful. Yeah. Anything else that comes to mind before we wrap up this episode? Wow. That was so fast. God, I guess I should, I talk about this all the time, but I guess they're one of the main things that I think people don't realize too, which is something that, especially if you're getting kids into swim, that's a little bit later, they maybe like I'm a swimmer. So my kid's probably going to end up in swim lessons way too late, that kind of stuff. Cause I'm going to take them in the pool and teach them and be comfortable and whatever. So in that particular case, I think it's important to just know that if you're really comfortable around the water, maybe you were a swim instructor. Maybe we have all kinds of parents that come in. And they're like, I was a swim instructor. It's so fun to bring my kid here. Stuff like that. Just keep in mind that the evolution of the way that we teach children has also changed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like maybe like invisible raise of hands when you were learning to swim, did your parents just yell, kick, kick at you like constantly until you were moving around the pool? Probably that's how I learned to swim. And I was like trying to go to the Olympic trials. So there's nothing wrong with it. But what I will say is that most kids, the way that we kick in traditional swimming is with very, it's very technical and most kids don't have the motor development to kick that way. So it turns into a bicycle kick, which can actually pull them under the water. So we actually teach kids to use their legs last. We teach them to keep their head down so that they can navigate in the water and use their arms to propel them first. And that creates an environment where they can control their breathing a little bit better. They can reach for the wall a little bit more and they're not being pulled under trying to use a a motor development skill that isn't even possible for a two-year-old to do. So just keeping in mind that they have a lot more control when their head is actually in the water and when they're using their arms to navigate them. And it creates a little bit more of a calm, slow environment. We call it polar bears at floaties. We're doing big, huge polar bear arms to get to the edge. And it makes it a nice, calm, really like peaceful. And the kids learn their buoyancy a little bit more. They understand their balance in the water so that as they're growing, they can adapt to how their body is changing while they're learning. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. I, so I've learned so much today. This is so cool. I really appreciate you sharing all of this guidance and advice today. Before we wrap up the episode, even though this is a complete like 
180 pivot. Talk to people if they, because I can imagine a parent's listening right now and they're like, wow, she's so knowledgeable. I really connect with her. I really resonate with her. That's how I felt when I first got introduced to you. So if we have business owners on on listening right now, talk briefly about Paradigm in case they're also interested in your services. Yeah. So basically Paradigm is just a offshoot of the way that I've learned to build teams through educating swim instructors, building management teams and scaling the business, having multiple locations, things like that. So I adapted all the things that I really needed as a person that was running a small business with the owner of the company, of course, and made them accessible for small business owners of different industries, different sizes, and basically just cut through all the BS of what you see when you Google stuff into creating teams and environments where you can stay compliant with your HR, build profitable business models, but also have real meaning behind the people that you're bringing in. We love a small, lean team that makes just as much money as a gigantic 50-person team over a bunch of in-person locations. So we do help small businesses of all sizes. We love a referral. Reach out on Instagram, LinkedIn. My personal Instagram is also open for business, of course. But the paradigm with two M's is where you can find out more about the business. And I also have a podcast. So if you like to listen to me blab on and on, it's called On the Up and Up. And you can hear more about business stuff over there. But I just... I don't know. I just know how many parents are listening to this that have kids with autism or have friends that have struggled with and or embraced the journey of being a parent of a child with autism. And I just want to say you guys are all the real MVPs because the patience, the kindness, like what I've learned from these kids has affected my life in such a big way. And I'm just so thankful to have met people like you that are helping these parents out there. So give yourself a freaking pat on the back and Don't worry if you put your kid in ISR, they'll like the water eventually anyway. (laughs) I love it. I love that tie in so good. And yeah, I remember when we first started working together, you were just, you were so proud of the work that you're doing at floaties and all of that. But then also you would talk about the autistic kids you did work with and how impactful it is and how much it felt important to make an impact too. So thank you for coming on this podcast and making an impact. We will definitely link your information. We'll also link floaties in case people are local to the San Diego area. And then I'll probably grab the link from you and we'll link it of where parents can look up learn to swim programs as well. Oh yeah. I should say one more thing too, because I'm not sure when this is going to air, but especially if you're a parent of a child with autism, you might be thinking, oh, I'm just going to wait till the summer to get my kid into a program. Do it now. The pools are quiet. You're more likely to have fewer kids in your class. The Most of the programs are going to be indoors all over the country. They're built like they have a bench underwater that are built for the kids to wait their turn. You're going to have a little bit more one-on-one attention. And this is across the board. We're still busy at floaties in San Diego, but our volume of students is 30% less So our kids will have a mixture of small group, semi-private lessons and an occasional private one here and there. And it's really great environment for kids, especially with differentiating abilities to really thrive and get a good head start so that by the time you get to summer, they're ready to enjoy the water. And it's not like they're just now learning at the same day they're going to the beach, that kind of thing. Oh, that's so genius. Just thinking about this, it will actually air. We're recording this in mid-October in a couple weeks, but this could be a great Christmas present too for your oh, kid. Yeah. Experiences are, or 
holiday present, whatever traditions mm-hmm. that you have in your family, but these experience-based things too, you're going to have some security in knowing your child's safe around water and is learning all of this. But once they learn how to navigate the water, it's fun, it's enjoyable. And so this yeah. could be a great little holiday present for them. I know my team would be so mad if I didn't mention that because they're like, we want the kids that are on the spectrum to come in when we have a lot of time to focus on them. And it's a little quieter. It's not so echoey. Yeah. So I had to throw that in there, even though I know we were I- basically done, but whatever. No, I love it. I love it because I think that's such a valuable piece of advice. So Kira, thank you so much for today and being here and educating us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. All right, y'all. That is a wrap of today's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. I will see you back here next time. Before we wrap up this episode, for real this time, I want to share a couple ways you can get even more value and what your next steps could be. First, join the Evolve Facebook group. We do Q&As about the episodes and so much more. I linked that group, my personal social media pages, and any resources I mentioned in this episode in the show notes. So scroll down now and join me online. When you submit questions on any of my pages, your question could be featured on this podcast. How cool is that? I love being able to speak on topics that feel directly relevant to your life. Your questions truly make a difference in the content we create here. One last thing, do your fellow autism parents a favor. Share this episode on your social media and tag me. Autism currently affects one in 36 families in the United States and many more worldwide. So I'm sure there is a parent in your social media followers that could be served by this podcast. Thank you again for being here. And I'm so grateful we shared this time together. Bye y'all.